0: This is Hans Reamer, Montgomery County Councilmember, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties.
1: Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about two policy issues that are ripe. They're happening right now. We'll break those down. We'll talk about the structures of Maryland government that are in play. A lot of this stuff people don't understand because it gets pretty deep. We'll try to break it down for you in a way that's easy to digest. So we'll talk about where we are process-wise as well as substance And we're going to talk about the Board of Public Works and an item that is up for final approval next week that counties care a lot about. And then another item that's up for an unusual approval next week, an unusual process, and that has to do with school mask mandates. I want to welcome in Michael Sanderson, my co-host. Michael, we're recording remotely here on Thursday evening. NFL season is about to kick off, so I appreciate you (laughs) being willing to record right now. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> doing okay, and
0: glad to be here. I mean, you know, for for a while we dabbled with this idea of doing the podcast after dark, and there were some theoretical overtones to what that was going to be. So this is different from that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not fired up in the way that uh, the old after dark episodes were supposed to be. But I am fired up about these topics, and I think it's interesting stuff. You, you know, you know, I, I do love a good like political philosophy and structure of government conversation, and we've got a double bill tonight.
1: We do. We do. So let's jump right into it. The first thing we're going to talk about is the Board of Public Works. And next week they're going to meet and they're going to be asked to sign off on a big elections equipment purchase, Michael. And our listeners know we've talked a lot about elections over the Mm -hmm. the few years that we've been in existence, right? And we've talked a lot about the administrative component of it. We went through an unusual election in the last cycle. So we talked about all of the, the special considerations that counties and local boards of election had to consider to run that election. And they did a fantastic job. County governments, we know this. In Maryland, it's an essential function. Four counties to fund and oversee the elections, and we do this through our local boards, right? Right. So, so I think you know the the issue of the moment is
0: an action item before our board of public works, and what we want to get to in a in a few minutes is what is the board of public works, and and where do they fit into sort of Maryland's policy process? But but first, I think it would it's probably helpful if if you can sort of walk through this this weird intergovernmental mix of the counties do elections but the state has a pretty substantial role and who does what and who pays for what it's a it takes a little table setting so so let's do that
1: first and walk us through that so as i said in maryland counties fund and oversee elections but we also have a state board of elections, and they oversee elections at the state level. And again, just to sort of to make this simple, the state board, they get to decide what kind of election system that we use, and that makes sense, right? You need to have consistency across the state. so so we get right. that that's important.
0: As I say, like last year, it was you know the decisions about, okay, what are we going to you know what's going to be by mail and what's going to be by request through the mail and those sort of big picture policy decisions as well as the actual like technical processes that stuff is in state law and administered really by the state board of elections and their staff so you don't want to have 24 separate systems for everything right
1: right and so it makes a lot of sense you can't have a patchwork approach especially when it comes to elections now the state board also gets to decide michael what kind of equipment that we use for elections so mm-hmm. i'm talking about voting machines ballot scanners Etc. Right. And that, again, makes sense because we certainly need consistency with this stuff. Right. You can't have a patchwork of all sorts of different voting systems and equipment across the state. We need this to be uniform. So it makes sense that the state board sort of has that role to, to decide what we're going to use and to make it uniform.
0: Yeah. And and as, as I was actually with MAKO at the time that federal law was changed to say that each state needs to have a uniform system uh, for, for basically the, you know, for the voting machines and counters and so forth themselves. So prior to that was when we had the whole hanging chads in Florida and so forth in the year 2000 federal election that was a big, you know, headline grabber and a lot of chewing of fingernails and so forth. But it was it was in the wake of that election when the Fed said every state needs to have a uniform system. And then Maryland and going through that uh, sort of laid the groundwork for what has become this little tricky system ever since then.
1: On the heels of that controversial election, you're right, Maryland had to come up with a uniform system. And basically w- what was decided, we knew that a lot of these costs were going to be substantial in order to, to, to procure all this equipment and get the system up and running. And so we had a statewide uniform system. So the state said, we get that. We're going to pick up half the cost for the big ticket items that we're going to make you use to run elections. So we're talking about essential stuff like voting machines, related systems, etc. And that, again, makes sense because that stuff is expensive. And again, the state gets to decide what we use. They write the purchase orders. They choose the vendor, etc. The local boards, the county governments don't have a role in that process. So it would make sense for the state to step up and say, we get it. We're going to cover half those costs.
0: And and that was both a political compromise but also a pretty practical one right the the state stepped in and said we're going to become the central decision makers on these big picture issues that's going to oblige locals to go out and scrap systems they've got or to dump stuff that they're still in the midst of paying for to replace them with this new state thing um but the trade-off was okay we'll pick up half the freight and so this will be a shared responsibility dollar wise at least
1: things get tricky because elections have come a long way in the last 20 years since we, the Fed said you have to have this uniform voting system. We've seen big changes in technology. We've seen changes in the way people prefer to vote, etc. And so now, Michael, we're seeing stuff like electronic poll books. And that's what we use to check in voters at polling places across the state. And to me, that sounds pretty essential to running an election, right? That's an essential part of our election system because we need that to check people in and run them against databases so i again right. it sounds pretty essential
0: and that's that's in part because of policy changes right that right. that Maryland like a lot of states we launched early voting and rather than everybody has multiple days of early voting at just your own normal precinct you have a number of early voting stations where anybody in the county can go vote so if you don't have a network of these e poll books available you could have some yo-yo like me decide I'm going to spend my afternoon going to every location in Anne Arundel County, I'll vote here, I'll vote there, I'll vote over there. Like in theory, you know, it would be possible for me to go and each of these different places and say, yeah, I'm here to vote and I live in the county. And they wouldn't, if they weren't connected to each other with equipment, they wouldn't have the ability to say, no, get lost, you clown. So you want them to tell me to get out of there.
1: It's really essential to running our elections. But for something like electronic poll books, the state has decided that those really aren't part of the voting system or other comparable equipment for which they will pony up half the costs, even though, again, the state gets to decide which poll books we use, they choose the vendor, they write the contract, all of it, right? So they say that's not part of the system. And all of that, Michael, leads us to next week's Board of Public Works meeting because the State Board of Elections is requesting funding to buy 7,600 printers for its poll book inventory. And although the local boards of elections are mandated by the state to use these poll books, these printers, they're also used by the State Board of Elections. But the State Board of Elections thinks that counties should pay 100% of these costs. Mm. And to me, and this is a fundamental reason why we feel like we need transparency and accountability and clarity here, these printers are gonna cost over 4 million bucks but at least they're going to be compatible with the new poll book. And that's coming down the line, Michael. The state is in the middle of procuring new poll books, which we all agree need an upgrade. But again, they want the counties to pay the full freight. And you know, that's about 26 million bucks.
0: We're running a pretty considerable tape here that, I mean, I I know, you know, Mako advocating on behalf of the counties, we will go to bat over a budget issue that's $400,000 or $1 million statewide and say, hey, you know, fair's fair, blah, blah, blah. But here we're talking about $30 million between these two components, both of which are basically out of our hands. It wasn't the local boards who decided to do this or, you know, said that this is, you know, this is the next step that we want to take locally. This is all coming from the state and then the bill gets sent to the locals. Okay. Okay.
1: Right. And we don't think that's right. Neither does the Maryland Association of Election Officials and our local boards of elections. They're on the record saying the state should absolutely pay for half the cost of of poll books because they are part of the election system. They're essential for running our elections. And this is why we need to update the state's odd, outdated mix of laws that govern elections, because I don't know how much we want to get into what uncodified language means, Michael, but essentially we are relying on uncodified language from the year 2001 to govern how we fund elections. And what that means is the state board of elections and the state gets to make arbitrary decisions sometimes about what counts as part of the election system and as part of something they will pony up money for and what doesn't. And there are often disagreements about that, but there's really nothing on the books in terms of state law that clearly states The counties should pay for this, the state should pay for that, and maybe if something is really going to cost the counties a lot of money and the state's going to be running a contract and they're going to be implementing something, maybe counties should have uh, some input so that they can go back and explain to their constituents why the budget for elections went up by millions of dollars, and there's no accountability for the local elected officials to make sure that that money is being spent wisely, to make sure that the contracts are going off without a hitch they just get the bill for this stuff and they're told they have to pay it. So we think that we need a reboot here, Michael. And I think as we continue to advance with our elections, we got to have stuff on the books so that we have clarity, transparency, and accountability.
0: Yeah, I mean, you used you used an insider term along the way there of uncodified le- language. But I mean, to, to try and like, this is not a joke that if you want to understand who pays for what in elections in Maryland right now, You basically have to go dig up a file folder and find a copy of a bill that was passed more than 20 years ago, open up that bill and ruffle to the last page and find the few paragraphs tucked at the last, you know, the last segment of that bill. And that's the only place this exists. And then you have to sit around and scratch your head and say, well, I guess what they probably meant was like, there's nothing in there about e poll books because they didn't exist. So we have to kind of guess what they might have meant. It's, it's a perfect candidate for let's refresh it. Let's have a public hearing about what the policy ought to be, who ought to pay for what, what should be the approval process, and have it all agreed to in a public manner. That's something that we were interested in in a bill last year. Um, and I think, I think the counties still have a good argument that this ought to be clearer for everybody. Just like who calls the shots? How, how do we even get into this spot is not even clear to me
1: right it, it 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 you have to untangle a lot of things to figure out how we got here when we have no say in how the state manages procurements and contracts and vendors even though they're sending us the bill we just don't think that's right and we certainly need to clean this up because you shouldn't have to guess if you're writing a budget well we think that the state's going to fund half the cost of this but we're not really sure cuz they may interpret it differently That doesn't really work when you're trying to write a county budget and determine how much money you're going to have to put into elections and then find out later you're getting a bill from the state for a substantial amount of money that you didn't expect. So I think that's important. And Michael, the Board of Public Works is going to take a look at this request among dozens and dozens of other requests that they review about every two weeks. I guess we should mention what the role of the Board of Public Works is. Right. So so it's tricky because the way we've been describing it,
0: it makes it sound like the Board of Public Works is sort of a mini legislature that's deciding what the law is. But in practice, the Board of Public Works in Maryland is a body with three members. It's the governor, it's the comptroller, both of whom are elected at large by the voters, and the treasurer who's elected by the General Assembly, those are the three members, and they are a body that oversees, approves, and executes contracts. For the most part, that's really their job. So contracts by the executive branch of government come before the Board of Public Works for some public airing, for some you know conversation and accountability and eventual approval. From time to time, the board says, we don't think this was done right. We'd like to see a rebid this contract or do things a different way or whatnot. But it's because what we've been talking about, this election decision, requires spending money with a vendor on equipment. Well, that's a contract, and that's why this has to come before the, before the Board of Public Works. So at their meeting next week, those three members have an opportunity to hear about this contract, but because of stakeholders like the counties and our election officials and the local boards of elections, they're also gonna hear some of this background. Not so much that buying this equipment's a bad idea or that we got a bad price or any of those sorts of things that are sort of normal considerations for a contract. But in this case, it's like, well, the process that got us to here and who's paying for this and how did they get to decide whether we're using this vendor or that vendor or buying this model of machine or that model of machine. I think that conversation is fair game for Maryland's Board of Public Works. They're meant to be a, a body that promotes transparency in all these decision-making. So I, I, I think it's fair game and, and we're gonna ask them to shine some light on this.
1: Right, and you know I think it's fair game too to say, if you're obliging a significant amount of county funds and maybe some contracts get delayed and, and things end up costing more money due to whatever administrative stuff or cost overruns, all of that stuff happens and we get it but it's hard to then come back to the counties and say hey we need you to pony up some more cash i think counties are sort of saying well can you show us the receipts can you tell us what's going on and and, and the answer is basically no you just get sent the bill so again board of public works next wednesday and yes i agree michael i think they're going to hear some background here and it'll be interesting moving forward but a bigger fix is needed and hopefully we can get something done in the legislature and leave it there with board of public works michael and now Let's get into our second sort of weird issue on a on a technical note because we don't see it very often. And my my first question Michael, I mean I think at this point most school boards have have said we're going to require masks. There are a few holdouts, but really now the question is is the state going to step in and say every school system needs to make staff and teachers and students wear masks to try and slow down this delta variant and other variants that may come.
0: So so there is a so, first of all, this is an interesting policy issue that a lot of people are watching closely, right? A lot, of, a lot of parents of school children, a lot of employees and staff and teachers in and around the school buildings have been, you know, thinking about this as, you know, the, the workplace concerns and so forth. So, a lot of eyes have been on this, and if you've been reading the headlines for the last couple of weeks you probably are hearing us say well you know we want to talk about the next steps on mask mandates and you're probably saying i thought that was done didn't the didn't the state already decide they want to require masks in all the school systems why why are these
1: clowns talking about this as an un, unresolved issue so right because the state board of education they did indeed say they voted that we should the state should I, mandate all school systems to 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 require masks so now here we are Michael why are we still talking about whether or not the state is going to do this I agree it sounds like they already approved it
0: yeah and it's not just a random week but we literally as of the last day we we actually have all the school systems are back open and in person so all of our public school systems are up and running and this issue is still technically not fully settled so you're right that most of the local systems decided on their own to require masks. Um, There are a handful that had decided not to do that. When the state board stepped in and said, this is what we want to do, there was a a nudge in the direction and a few more, a couple more of the local systems got on board, but not everybody's there. And here's where we sit now. There's, There's sort of Two, two answers to what's going on. The, the, the short answer is we'll, we'll see this coming week and this will get sorted out. But I want to spend a couple minutes on the process because I find this stuff interesting. And there is a, a somewhat satisfying answer to why isn't this a done deal? So bear with me, but the longer answer is this is basically like dial back to sitting down, you know, you and your political science class. For a lot of us, this would have been back in like high school civics, but separation of powers, one of the principles of the design of the United States Constitution and for many of the individual states Uh, We have a similar structure where you have an executive branch and a legislative branch in particular, where you create a variety of checks and balances between one side and the other. So, yeah, we get in general, the legislature, they're the ones who make the laws, and then the executive branch carry it out. And like, that's as far as you get in ninth grade civics, and that's fine, but we're going to go a little deeper. What happens when an agency decides to implement a law? They say, well, here, this is the way we think this is meant to work, and here are the regulations we propose. Maryland has a system that makes plenty of sense, that you want to have public participation and stakeholder input and so forth. So you publish a set of proposed regulations. A lot of times they arise from multiple work group members getting together and ironing things out. But here they are. Here's our 12 pages of regs and they're, they're on display in the Maryland Register. Anybody who wants to see them can take a look at them and submit comments, and then we'll have a formal review process at the end of that window of time. Part of the reason that you have a months-long process is so stakeholders can show up. Another part of the reason is so that, in theory, the state legislature could react. We don't like that, and you, you have to be careful of a notion of a legislative veto, so you, you 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 can't create something as simple as uh, we'll do the regulations, but the state senate can just step in and say no, that's no good. That's 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 sort of contrary to the separation of powers concept in the Constitution. Lots of case law at the federal level, and a lot of that is carried down to the states who has who have parallel structures, but. You can't really have a legislative veto, but you do need to give the legislature enough time to reconvene and change the law.
1: Right, so, and, But we yeah. know, though, that we've seen throughout the pandemic, a lot of times we need to do this stuff quickly, right? And we need to enforce and set these regulations very, very fast, in a rush. We need an emergency process to do right. that. But what you're talking about, that still requires legislative approval, and it's done by a special committee, right? Right. So in this circumstance, it wouldn't have
0: made much sense for the State Board of Education to meet, what, two weeks ago and and say, we want to have a mask mandate, so we'll submit these regulations for comment over the next 120 days, and they'll go into effect on May 15th. You'd be almost all the way through the school year by the time the decision meant anything. So recognizing that sometimes you have a decision that needs to be on a faster track, A state agency can do emergency regulations. Now, if you want to go on a fast-track process, that's where the legislature gets a more clear say, and that's the pickle we're in right now, is an agency can say, we want this to happen as rapidly as possible, and that means the state legislature needs to be able to weigh in. We're not going to bring the whole General Assembly back to Annapolis for a special session to convene on this. Uh, We already set up a structure to handle this. It's through a joint committee, some senators and some delegates. Um, Everybody in town knows of this as AELR, that's Administrative, Executive, and Legislative Review. Uh, So a joint committee with some senators and some delegates, that's the body that has to meet, talk about emergency regulations, and sign off on them before they can have effect. So they're the group that's scheduled to meet also next week, the day before. It's scheduled for the 14th, which is a Tuesday. So they're scheduled to meet on Tuesday and take these up. But that's why the emergency regs from the State Board of Education on Masking weren't in place for day one of school systems. We had at least one system that is not masked at the moment, and they're waiting to see what the state does. But that's the process we're in, is it's meant to give the General Assembly a theoretical bite at the apple rather than have the agency have unilateral authority to make things happen.
1: And and it does make sense here. I mean, so if you're rushing through because it's an emergency regulation and you don't have that time for people to react, you do get a little bit more leeway through this AELR committee that they're the ones now who become the arbiters and decide whether or not this is, is this the right way to go. So, so that is the process here, Michael. The State Board of right. Education, which are appointed by the governor, correct? They take a vote right. and they adopt emergency regs. They're not effective in 90 days, but immediately after the AELR approves them, if they approve them, they become effective. So Michael, on, you know, like you said, September 14th, what is your prediction here? What is, what is AELR going to do? Are they going to push this through or are they going to shut it down?
0: I, I think there's every reason to believe that the, the sentiment in the General Assembly lines up with the State Board of Education. And I think they'll approve the regs and this will become official statewide policy. There'll be a mask order probably in place by September 15th. And I think the holdout school systems, even if they've been coming in for a few days without masks... I think they're anticipating next week it's going to be masked up. Um, and there's, you know, there's a little interesting you know, dynamic there with the state school board. The members of the school board are appointed by the governor, but it's not exactly the same relationship as being like a cabinet secretary appointed right. by the governor and at the pleasure of the governor. These are formal appointments and so forth. And then, you know, the, the the state board are the ones who hire the state superintendent of schools and just brought in Mohammed Chowdhury as the new uh, superintendent. Um, he was a fan of using the mask mandate that probably had some sway on the board members. Some folks are like, well, how did this happen? Doesn't the governor sort of control all this stuff? And the answer is mm, not
1: necessarily. You, you pick the board members and then they go do their job. So you have the separation of power issue here, you also have the state stepping on, you know, local control. And and some people will raise that issue and say, this is why we have local school boards. This is why they're on the ground. This is, and I mean, and we often make this argument about county government, right, is we like to make our own decisions. We believe in local decision-making, we believe in local accountability to our voters. And so I think, you know, that there is that issue lingering here too, is is local control and local flexibility in decision-making. And I think you'll hear some sentiments come up, but but that is also a, an interesting and fascinating issue here. These aren't counties that we're talking about. They are local school boards, totally different. But when it comes to local control and flexibility, the school boards and the counties are often at the table saying, we don't want the state to trample on our local decision-making and our local authority. So that is also, in addition to the separation of powers, an issue that is, is looming in the background here.
0: Right. And I think this
1: the state board debated this for
0: some time, and I think they generally show a good deal of deference um, to the local boards for, for the implementation of an, a really wide range of policies on education and curriculum and hiring practices and what they prioritize and so forth. So, so it, the, the local boards of education, generally speaking, drive the train. I think in this case, they were persuaded that this was a fundamental matter of employee safety that, you know, that, that in their judgment, that took precedence over a general inclination toward local control. So we know how that goes sometimes.
1: What is interesting to me, too, is when it comes to vaccines. And, you know, we've heard a lot, there are a lot of headlines about private businesses came out and said, we're going to make everybody get the vaccine. We've seen county governments come out and say, we're going to make our employees get vaccinated. And if not, they're going to have to be subject to, to weekly testing. And that That seems to a lot of folks are doing that now. But Michael, just today, the Montgomery County School Board came out and said, actually, that does not go far enough. We're concerned about public health and safety for our students, our teachers and our staff. And so now we're going to require teachers to to get vaccinated. They're not going to have the ability to say, I just don't want the vaccine, but I'll do the weekly testing. Montgomery County Schools is saying now that's not going to fly. You need to get the vaccine. No testing. So I think, Michael... This could be a shift. And, and I know the president also, the president of the United States, President Biden actually came out today too and had some comments about vaccines. So with Montgomery County schools doing this, I mean, does this mark a change? That they're really the first ones that I've seen, at least locally, to step up and say, you have to get vaccinated. We're not going to allow you to get tested in lieu of being vaccinated.
0: I I it's the first I've seen on that exact front. And I, I'm sure the you know the logic is that we all, like anybody who's been through a cycle of being concerned about a COVID exposure over these last, you know, however many months it's now been, you know, seems like seven years, but, you know, you, you go get a test, but then we're also aware a negative test this morning doesn't necessarily mean that today and tomorrow and the next day I'm perfectly safe to be around. And that's that's the difficulty with counting on a negative test as an indicator that you're okay to be at work or you're safe to be next to or, you know, breathe an air from and so forth. So I, I, I get the logic of it. I don't know how this will ultimately play out among employers in the public sector or elsewhere. You know, President Biden um, seems to have in mind uh, either encouragement or even a requirement for larger p- private employers to have a vaccine mandate so we'll see how far this goes and let's hope that the the situation on the ground lets this go on its own let's let's hope that enough people just decide to get the vax and make take the steps so that these numbers can start sinking and declining and we can get back to where we thought we were
1: headed back in the summertime it's a pretty good incentive to get the vaccine if you aren't going to be able to continue working at your job and therefore lose your paycheck. So it is interesting, you know, what the president said today about private businesses and, and mandates, that seems like a, a recipe for a huge, huge legal fight. I'm sure the the like folks like the chamber of commerce would have things to say about that. And, and that becomes a whole, a whole nother issue, but it is a, it's a fascinating issue for a lot of reasons, Michael, moving forward. It's, it'll be interesting to see if other folks jump on board with what Montgomery County schools did today. And again, it's the first that you or I have seen, and it's pretty bold and it's a pretty big step. So we'll see what happens.
0: Obviously, it's, it's something everybody's mind is on. We'll keep thinking about it. Um, looking out for folks in Maryland, our good friends in Guam, we'll
1: keep on it. Yeah, Guam, unfortunately, they, they've had some issues lately, Michael, with their vacation and vaccine program. I think they, they had to shut that down. COVID-19 crushes a place like Guam, right? That relies on tourism but we know that Guam is going to rebound and we are we are big time pro Guam all the time on the Conduit yep. Street Podcast. We're with them, yep. All right, let's leave it there. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also listen along on the Conduit Street blog and follow along on social media, Facebook and Twitter. But until next week, for Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off and we will talk to you soon.